Story community. I am Harris III. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. This is part two of our roundtable conversation with Kevin Carroll and Lewis Richardson. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode, I believe it is 13. Hopefully I have that right. We took a couple weeks off here in the podcast in the middle of the season. Lots of people traveling and on vacation. Our team was out doing lots of traveling. A few of us were on vacation. Uh, and while we did that, the price of story tickets also went up by 100 bucks. And if you missed that, we announced last week we've got an exclusive uh, discount code just for you guys just here on the podcast to revert you back and save a hundred bucks. And that's only available for the next week or so. So if that's you head over to the website, story2022.com, make plans to join us this year, either online for the virtual event or in person in Nashville. Um, we talked a lot about how amazing this event is going to be this year. The speaker lineup is incredible. Plus, you know, the best of the best of the experience isn't even listed on the website because we bring you these incredible surprises year after year of people that are absolutely mind-blowing and you leave not just changed as a storyteller but as a person. This is a transformational experience all the while helping you increase your storytelling skill set at a practical level. It's going to add value to your life. It's going to add value to your work. If you work on a team within an organization, it's going to add value to your company you need to be there. So learn more and grab your ticket at story2022.com for either online or in person. And because the price just went up, here's a discount code for you, podcast100. That's it, no spaces. Just go grab your ticket and at checkout, podcast100, podcast100. It'll knock off $100. It's our small way of saying thank you for listening into the podcast uh, week after week and for joining us here at Story. So enjoy that. Grab your ticket, story2022.com. Now, if you've been following along for a while to all the things Story has been doing over the last few months, you know that we've been deep diving into something that we call the five storytelling types. Basically, it's our way of helping you identify the core motivations to why you're drawn to leverage the power of story in your work. There are five storytelling types, the artisan, the amplifier, the investigator, the connector, and the revolutionary. And once you identify um, which one of these you are, it helps us resource you better on next steps. It helps you identify and go, oh, this is the role that I play in the world as a storyteller. It helps you identify maybe what other storytelling types you should learn from to fill in the gap in your storytelling skill sets. So many good things come from this. And so it's a simple and quick assessment. You can take that at storygatherings.com if you haven't already. Um, it's a good next step. It'll make you a better storyteller. Last week, we listened into the first half of uh, a, well, it wasn't just half of the conversation because we don't take the full conversations from the roundtable events. You got to show up for those live. But we played part one of some of the snippets that we pulled from the roundtable conversation with Kevin Carroll, legendary uh, voice from Nike, ESPN, best-selling author, amazing, amazing guy. He's out of Portland. And Lewis Richardson, who is the former chief storyteller for IBM Watson Customer Engagement. Um, legendary storyteller from IBM, now based in Atlanta, both longtime story friends and favorite story speakers. We sat down with them and we discussed what it means to be a connector. How do we leverage the power of story to connect others, to connect with ourselves, to lead better in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our relationships, in our companies? It was a good time. And a couple of the big takeaways that stuck out were being where your feet are. Something Kevin said that really resonated with the audience. And we talked a lot about showing up for those around you in versatile and curiosity-driven ways. 
Why? Because when we do, people are more likely to open themselves up, right? They seek more than that surface level connection and we can then become a safe space for the needs and hopes of others. Empathy has a ton to do with that. It was an amazing conversation. In this episode, we're going to go back to that same conversation from the same roundtable event, but maybe get a little bit more practical. Kevin and Lewis both had several really great insights into their purpose and focus. They are both really great connectors, and they also talked about being revolutionaries. Um, I think we all, regardless of our type, are drawn to leveraging story to drive change in the world because I think all of us in the story community are driven to create a better future. Um, and so we wrestled a little bit with that tension as well, but these are two of the best connectors I will know. They're amazing leaders who are leveraging the power of story. And so let's take these simple vantage points that they shared because they can really help give you a picture of what it means um, to sort of leverage story and for the heart of connection. Uh, it's really good stuff. That's enough for me from now. Let's just listen in to these two genius guys. Here's the conversation with Kevin and Lewis, listen in. Kevin, you took the stuff that Lewis is talking about and somehow spent a season as the mayor of Nike. And I also don't think that was a job description at Nike. Um, and so if you're like Lewis, you're going to say, oh, you know, I don't know how it happened, blah, blah, blah. I think deep down, if I push you guys, you guys intentionally took steps. And, and even if you didn't see the finish line, you didn't expect it to play out the way that it did. You didn't know every aspect of how the story would unfold, but both of you were being very intentional in this process. And for you, if I get my memory correct, it started with waffles. Yeah. What that, in the world do also, waffles have to yeah, do with waffles, connecting yeah, people? For sure. <laughs> but the other thing, yeah, it's true. The <laughs> other thing too is, and to just kind of amplify what Lewis was talking about, I wasn't doing my job if I was in my office. Mm. So that was my attitude. If I'm in my office, I'm not doing my job. I need to be out and about and building bridges for people, right? And connecting people. And so that was a big part of what I did. And, and they did a story about me here in a local paper and they said, the man who builds bridges. And so it was the whole way that I operated at Nike. and. The waffle thing happened well after I had already started building bridges and it started with me going there my very first day and meeting the folks at the front desk of every building I went in. So I'd always chat them up because I knew from my military intelligence background, who has the most information in the whole place. It's the folks at the front desk. So let me befriend them because they can give me the intel I need to accelerate my work. So I was just using my black Jason Bourne days, right? Black Bourne, doing my thing, right? And, and figuring out ways to use my military intelligence background. So connecting with all these people allowed me to do the waffle moment. So Bill Bowerman, our co-founder of Nike at the time, had just passed away. And so the place was reeling from this moment and they were planning a big memorial service for him. And I wasn't part of the corporate team, right, in communications. I was just, you know, person working on campus, but I really had come to grow fond of him and his wife, Barbara. And when I, and security were friends of mine, so they would let me know when they were on campus and I would stalk them. 
So I would actually follow them around on their campus tours. And one at one point, I had done it so often, Barbara turned around, there goes that nice young man again, Bill. Right? Because <laughs> I would be just far enough back, but she would always notice me. And I wouldn't bother them or anything. I just wanted to be in his presence. And so when he had passed away, I was sitting with some of my friends on campus. And I said, you know what? We got to do something from the people, the corporations doing something, but the people need to let the family know how much we appreciate. And they said, what do you think? I said, you know what? We should get free waffles for everybody, right? Wouldn't that be cool if we had like waffle irons everywhere? Because he was the one who came up with the waffle outsole for sneak for the sneakers or footwear. And I said, everybody would basically go and get a waffle, right? And then go pay respects, right? And so you do come into the building and they said, that's a brilliant idea. Can you get that done? I said, I know some people in food services. And I met them through all my interactions. And so I went to the head of food services at Nike and I said, hey, I got this idea. They said, Kevin, let's do it. I said, I'm going to get all of you Oregon gear, right? Because that was Bill Bowerman where he coached track and field. And so I got everybody in Oregon gear, all the chefs, and they had lined up all these waffle irons and people went crazy to get their waffles and then go into the building for this memorial service. Well, Phil Knight heard about that and he was calling corporate communications saying, hey, that was a great idea. So oh, we didn't do that. I think it was that guy, Kevin Carroll and his group of people. <laughs> right. And he goes, Kevin Carroll. And so he didn't know me yet. He contacted my boss and asked to see me. So I got called to the principal's office, if you will, afterwards. And he said, why did you do it? And I said, well, I wanted them and the family to know how much we appreciated someone, you and him, creating a place where I could be celebrated every day for my love of something. And I said, it wasn't that way everywhere else I worked per se, but to know that every day I could come and be excited about something that brings me joy and be celebrated for it. I'm like, of course I wanted to make sure. So we got this really beautiful picture of Barbara Bowerman licking syrup off her fingers as she was getting a waffle. And she said, Bill would have loved this. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's such a great story and a powerful example of how leading with connection has this sort of domino effect, right? One thing leads to another, leads to another. Next thing you know, you're in Phil Knight's office. Not because you thought, I wonder if, I bet if I make waffles, I could end up in Phil Knight's office and get a promotion at Nike, right? You were doing it because it's who you are. But let's talk for a second to those of us on the call where they might think, oh, that's who Kevin is. Lewis has a lot of that in him too. It's not really who I am. In fact, it's what David asked in the chat, yeah. advice for the introverts who aren't naturally comfortable, to use Kevin's words, chatting it up. So for those of us who are just like, Kevin, I don't know how to walk up to a stranger. Can I debunk something really quickly? Please yes. do. I knew you were I'm going debunking to something really quickly. And David, <laughs> you know me. I'm the most extroverted introvert you will meet. <laughs> I am not an extrovert by design or just my natural inclination. I, my office is in the basement of a building. I've been in this building for 11 years. There is no signage, nothing. I don't think I don't there's any windows. I don't want you to find me. <laughs> I don't want you to find me. I like being down here by myself. I'm not going, I, I'm the king of I'll meet you. That's, that's what my friends would call, oh, I'll meet you. You're not coming, right? Because they knew I wouldn't come to a party. I liked being by myself because when I had to be around a group, I knew there was this hope for that I'm going to be engaging and energetic and all this, but I got to replenish and I got to recover from that. 
And so I started to understand that even more as I've grown up. So no, I'm not extroverted at all. I, I have to summon up the energy to go and do that. But I also know it's my calling that I know I have a gift to bring people together and to build community. And I understand that, but I can't do it at, at the level all the time and sustain that 24 seven, it's impossible, right? And so I've started to understand what this rest and recovery look like so that I can go and fight the good fight on behalf of it every day. So I'm just pushing back a little bit on that idea David Paul, right? That, you know, these, in, you know, these extroverts and you guys, I'm like, nah, dude, what is that? I'm an ambivert, right? Isn't that what they call us, right? An ambivert. So that's what I am. Yes. Yeah. I love I, that. I can, yeah. If I could, uh, uh, and I, I was trying to work with IBM engineers and uh, they, they say that you can tell an extroverted IBM engineer because he's looking at your shoe, top, shoe tops and not his own. I mean, they are the most closed people ever. And to get them to open up and to share their ideas because they're brilliant people, but they just have no ability to chat things up. And they would look at us in our positions and say, that's not us. And I'll tell you something that I found. And this is from um, Chris Voss, who does a whole thing on negotiating tactics. He's a great negotiator. And he, and, and he, he has this thing called mirroring that I would teach. And mirroring is nothing more. And if you don't have to be a great conversational to do this, all you have to do is have an opening question, you know? So, so tell me, tell me about, about what, what really inspires you or what keeps you from doing the things you're inspired to do. And they'll go, well, you know, it's really hard to work around here. And mirroring just says, it's hard to work around here. And they go, yeah, it's hard because, you know, my boss doesn't understand. And because, you know, there is all these politics, all these politics. And then they just keep filling it in and they just keep filling it in. Filling, and, and you're not much of a conversationalist. You're just an inquisitor. You just keep just keep asking, mm -hmm. asking a little clarifying question. And they will just start opening up and pouring out to you to the point where you can finally get something that you can hook onto and say, that's that's your story. And here's where your story could be better. And if you can. If, you, if it's just a matter of what you're trying to do is you're trying to pull enough from them to get their, their current story and some idea of what their 2B story should look like or what they think their 2B story should look like, and then just paint that 2B story for them and just say, this is, imagine if it were this way, and then you were to show them that they could, because they have just recounted to you what their life is like, if they can see themselves in that 2B story, it's a good opportunity to, you know, to change their behavior. Because that's what you're trying to do is get them to believe to a point that they will change their behavior. And um, that was always my challenge is to find these tech nerds with all this data that they depended on daily to stop and say, you know, I don't care about your data. Tell me why, why should I care about your data? Tell me why, how it's going to change my life. That button is blue. Why is it blue? Why, why did you make it blue? I, I'm curious. Yeah. And just find those, find the stories. So. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's, I think a lot of times when we hear people say, oh, I just don't know what to say. Um, the moment you phrase, rephrase, I don't know what to say to, I don't know what to ask. Now we're in the realm of curiosity because asking yes. questions of others takes the pressure off of this sort of insecure driven thoughts, insecurity driven thoughts that go, oh, I feel like I have to talk about me. And so it's like, I'm nervous to go approach this conversation because of the insecurity that I have around myself. Okay. Well, if we set that aside and just make the conversation about them, now we can just go talk about how amazing that person is. Uh, we're all capable of complimenting someone. Or getting curious and asking a question. Kevin, love that hat you're wearing today, man. Looks so cool on you, right? He's like, oh yeah, I love this hat. I'm like, what are the what does the punctuation marks stand for? Mm -hmm. Now I can be as insecure about myself as I want, but I'm talking to Kevin about him out of a place of genuine curiosity 
And from a place of genuine admiration, I'm just complimenting on his hat. And that's a conversation starter. Um, see, I think that's good stuff, Lewis. Start with curiosity, ask questions. You Always don't know start with curiosity, right? And Karen actually just asked, like, what is a initial question you can ask? I think Lewis uh-huh. unpacked a bit of that. It's always that question of when was the first time you knew that what you're doing was, was the world you wanted to be invested in? Like, what was that moment that your brain got tickled by that? Mm-hmm. And I always love to ask that origin stories are always fascinating to me. Like, how did you get into this? And you just keep peeling it back and peeling it back. And you can get to a point where it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was, I was, you know, in first grade and we went on a field trip and I happened to see this dinosaur and, oh, right. So I think that's one of those really wonderful things to do is get to someone's origin story. Yeah. And there's a question too from Kyle about um, you can't force connections. How can you equip yourself to be a universal receptor? And I think that's just how much, how much have you, have you studied for it? And by studying for it, I mean, how much, how many stories have you heard? How many, how many people have you inquired about? Because I have found, and again, this is part of just the blessing of being with a lot of people is as you hear their stories, you'll connect with someone later. You'll have the opportunity to connect with someone who has a similar story. And it's so powerful to say, you know, I was just speaking to somebody who had this very same kind of issue. And this is the way they thought about it. This is the way they looked at it. Mm -hmm. And if you're seen as someone who has those connections, even if you don't connect them with that person, if you can just connect the fact that they're, you're they're not alone, there's somebody else out there look just like you. Here's how they tried. I don't know if that's the answer for you, but here's something they tried. And so that's the universality of it. It's not a matter of saying, you know, I tell you what, if you if you start with why, if that's the answer to every question, start with why, start with why, you're going to be a poor receptor, a poor connector, because you just the one one trick, right? And so it's a matter of of just listening. And I I love not so much speaking from my experience because most people can't relate to me, but they can relate to other people like them. Find those stories, find those things and share those. So, yeah, that's so good. While we're on the topic of practical advice in this area, more great advice I heard once from my friend, Brad Montague. Many of you are big fans. (laughs) Um, B-Rad. Yeah, B-Rad. I don't remember the exact story. Well, he was at some dinner uh, in DC. It was like the White House Correspondents Dinner or something like that with Kid President, right? And they're at the table. You know, they're celebrating 10 years. I know. Yesterday, That's I think a, it was. Do you see how big yesterday. Robbie is? That's yes. ridiculous. I know. I know. It's over the top. The so hell? At, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so he's at this dinner with Robbie and this lady, I who I'm also can't remember, I'm butchering the story, but she says, you know, what do you love about what you do? And he talked about how much that caught him off guard in a beautiful way. Um, and I think taking the pressure off like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And there was one year a story, everyone's walking around the lobby instead of asking, what do you do? It was, hey, what do you love about what you do? And it just sort of shifts the narrative a little bit and goes to a deeper place. And it sort of leaves some of the transaction that we often feel behind and takes us to a heart emotional level, allows us to connect more easily. So that's another great question for those of you who are just like, how do I put some stuff in my pocket that makes it easier to connect, write that question out. What do you love about what you do? I've asked yeah, that there's, there, times. Yeah. There's, there's another one that I like to use, even, you know, sitting next to someone on a plane or, or in the case of even a business associate, or you're, you're standing around a water cooler, getting ready to meet with some people. Um, I always love asking the question and said, so, so what is it you do? And they say, well, I'm, you know, the director of marketing. And I'll say, well, well, tell me this. If I were to observe you on your very best day being the director of marketing, if I was in the room while you were being the very best director of marketing, what would I see you doing? 
And then they imagine for a moment, they go, well, I'd probably be working with my people and solving some problems and whatever. And say, that's just amazing. So what keeps you from doing that all the time? And then they go, oh, geez, you know, meeting with people and emails and all this other stuff. <laughs> well, you know, let's let's look let's look on how we get rid of those things so we can just so you can do the things you're meant to do, you know. And that brings people that ability of there is a vision. I could be doing that. Why can't I do that? And then it's a matter of okay, so it's back to the Jason Jager thing. You know, you you don't get what you want either because you don't want it enough or you're not willing to pay, you're negotiating the price, right? And so either you don't want it, you really don't think that can happen, you just don't want to do it, or you're just negotiating the price. And the price may be, you may have to do some things differently. You may have to get ruffle some feathers. You may have to uh, go the way other people don't go, but hey, you can get there. So I am just want to encourage anyone who's there saying that maybe they're not they're not a chat up person or they're not an outgoing person or whatever, That just yet. You're not that yet, but you can yes. do that, right? Yes. Um, so. Yet is a powerful word to add to the end of any statement. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Um, good stuff here. I'm going to write that one down for the next round of job interviews that we're doing, Lewis. Thanks for that little <laughs> nugget. Uh, Kevin, I, I want to go back to another chat from uh, the chat. Uh, a question from the chat, I should say. I believe it was from Kyle. He was commenting on how you said, uh, I got to leave my office to go do my work, I'm not doing my job if I'm in my office. Uh that's an easy thing to say, I would assume. It's like, cause it sounds really creative and fun and pithy, but like shoot straight with us. Were there responsibilities where you had to go back to your office and work every now and then? Yeah. But there was also the idea of if I'm a connector, how can I be connecting if I'm waiting for you to come to me? Like Lewis said, you got to go to the people. <laughs> and I think my office was wherever I was. So I didn't have to physically be in that place. I would post up on a, countertop and write some notes down. I mean, I could take a call because I knew all the receptionists, right? They could set me up with a phone. I mean, these relationships that I had, people would let me, you know, stop in their area, use a desk, whatever. And so those things, once again, my office was wherever I was. So I think everyone went immediately to a physical space, but it wasn't that, right? It was more of a mentality. And I think I started to understand that I could bring my office wherever I was. And so I would actually always have a backpack, have a bunch of stuff. People always knew I had the best snacks in my backpack too, right? So they loved when I came into a meeting or we got in there, we got it. You got an extra? I said, I always got extra. You know, I always got extra. What do you got though? What do you got? Right. And I start like, just like digging in and bringing stuff. Oh, Hey, you have. And so I knew that was also ways to connect with people because they love the fact that I was snack guy. Like you always have snacks, Kevin, you're always grazing. I'm like, that's the way I, I stay fueled is grazing. So I learned all these things, obviously from my human performance background and sports medicine, but I would keep those snacks. And I knew people also were craving certain things. So I'd have, you know, salty, sweet snacks in there and stuff. Right. And guess who they always remember? Yo, Kev, Dying of snacks, right? I can just be walking by. I got what you want. I got what you need, man. First one's free. Come through. Right? So, yes. So, yeah. So, my office was wherever I was. Mm -hmm. I had a physical office that was many times like this, right? So, it was always filled with a lot of eye candy and stimuli. And my last few years at Nike, I was actually in the design library. That was where my office was. And I got the head of um, product design who was running the design library, Cindy Romaine, who we, we still remain friends all these years. 
she invited me to come in there because she said, you're going to bring people in here. You're going to tell people to come here. You're going to make this a destination. So I would do little events in there and experiences in there. We actually created an athletic training room for creative energy. Like we actually did a destination where you could actually bolster and amplify your creative energy or get an assessment on your creative energy. So, I mean, I always found a way to create an experience wherever that locale was Mm -hmm. and to create energy in that space. And so, yeah, so my office, yes, I would do work, but I could do work wherever I was at. And so I just would always find a clever way to tap into the relationships that I had to get the work done that I needed to. Yes, it was always difficult to measure my impact. And I think the thing that allowed me to be successful at Nike is I wasn't coveting or chasing any titles. I wanted influence without titles. That's what I would always say to my um, manager is that I'm not chasing a VP thing. I'm not, I don't, I don't covet this director thing. I, I want influence without title. How can I have impact? And so I would actually tell the stories back to them during performance review of all the different moments and different moments of impact or connection. And then, hey, you can contact them to see what happened, but I didn't ask for a report. Hey, so could you tell me the percentage of impact I had on your group after that interaction that we shared on the date? No, I wasn't chasing back. I was being a catalyst, a spark. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a big part of what I started to understand was bring that spark wherever I'm at, be able to do your work wherever you are. I was doing, I guess the, what is that? The floating desk or whatever they call that now. I was doing that before, dang man. See, I should have like got that. I should have TM that. I should have Phil Dumpy that. You were ahead of your time. You're ahead of your time. Uh, dude, you said something there that I think is so key for connectors or anyone who is like, ah, I'm not really a natural connector. That's not my dominant storytelling type, but I want to get better at this. And I think these words could be said by any really great connector. You said, I want influence without titles. And I think at the heart of what makes a leader a great connector is someone who is going, no, leadership is about influence. I'm here. Um, to do what I do, not in search of a title, but about the betterment of whatever that particular vision is. Um, it's amazing. Absolutely. And Bill Bowerman would say, if you do the right thing, the money will come. Yeah. It was, that it was, was a, his, a, yeah. Steve, that was his Steve Jobs. Yeah. Steve, I think it was Steve Jobs who said, if you're out to make, if you're out to make money, you might make some money, but you won't make any meaning. If you're out to make meaning, you'll make meaning and you'll probably make some money along the way. And so, the idea of just being a meaningful person, being somebody who's just making meaning uh, and making a difference. And I know that sounds very altruistic and whatever, but, but for those of you who listen or listening, um, there's been a couple of questions I noticed about, you know, recharging and how can you, Mm. do you ever get tired of being a connector? How do you recharge and so forth? And I, I can say, and is, I don't feel like I need to be recharged. I feel like connecting charges me. I feel like that's, Mm. it's not something and maybe you're, you might be, I'm going to just caution you, invite you into maybe you're overthinking it. Um, that connector, being a connector is intentional and you have to have genuine curiosity, but it's so easy and it's so fun. And it's really, it's really one of those things that as you, and just, just try it out. And, and this is the great thing too, I loved about this is that being a connector is as you're asking people questions, you'll find the questions that stick. 
And the questions that don't that fall on deaf ears or you can't get someone to break out, someone asks, you know, what are some of the opening questions you can ask? If someone's not sharing a sharing an answer with you, it's either you ask the wrong question or they don't trust you. People don't tell stories to people they don't trust. And so maybe you have to build a little trust before you get that. Mm-hmm. But most people will open will, will share some part of part of a story with you. And if you consider that you're just being paid, that's like wealth to you. And that's like value to you. Um, and to me, that's what charges me up because I, I put those things aside. I had people come to me and say, Lewis, you have so many stories. You know, where do you get the stories? And it's like, they're all out there. <laughs> just go find them. It's not, it's not one of those things. It's hard to find. Just go ask and just remember them. Be intentional because a lot of times we'll ask people, so how are you doing? And then we check mm-hmm. out. And we don't care how they're doing. We're just saying that to be polite. And they just start talking. And it's the cashier. It's the person's, you know, serving you a hamburger or whatever. And you say, you know, are you having a good day? Or, and they go, no, I'm struggling. And and you just leave it. It's like, tell me about your struggles. This next person can wait for a minute. Tell me about that. You know, ask them some questions. And you'll find that that really, I mean, to me, that really charges me. That they're investing their time. Because when someone's sharing a story, they're investing in me. I appreciate that. Wow. Okay. I want to go back to Kevin talking about being mayor at Nike. I don't think that was an official job title, by the way, but could you imagine uh, being considered by the CEO of a global brand? Like, hey, yeah, you're the mayor on our campus. It's because he was so good at offering value to the company and the organization and the community by the way he connected people. The idea of seeking connection, not titles, that is huge. I think if we were to be completely honest with ourselves and our intentions, a lot of us would struggle to see connection as the thing that we're chasing in our jobs or even in our relationships or even as our work as a storyteller. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time you did something in your work as a storyteller that was simply for the sake of connecting, connecting with your coworkers, connecting with your leadership, or even connecting with your clients? What did that make you feel when you did it? What was the outcome? These are important questions. They seem super simple, but it's worth taking the time to ask. When's the last time you did that? What did it make you feel? What happened as a result? Look, intentionality is simple and ideal, but often tough in practice, right? It requires us to turn our brains and our hearts on and use them together. Use them together. I hope that you'll do that. And I hope that this conversation has been an inspiration to you, whether connecting comes natural to you or you're a different storytelling type that has learned listening into two great connectors. um, I hope this has been beneficial for you and that you'll put it to work. There's been so many great reminders and practices that can apply to all of the different ways that we leverage the power of story. So again, I know we've been hyping it a lot. If you haven't taken that assessment yet, please do so. Head over to storygatherings.com. It's right there on the homepage. Just click it. It only takes a few minutes to discover your type. And our last type that we haven't covered yet, the revolutionary, probably the most universal uh, type in this entire series is coming up next in our focus. Um, And I'm pretty sure the majority of you, the story community is going to resonate with this. It is my personal type, so I'm obviously naturally excited to get into it. But I think like any assessment, whether it's like the Enneagram or any other personality-driven type assessment, though I don't think that's necessarily what the Enneagram is, um, you find yourself a little bit in all of the types that are offered to you. And so I think all of us in the story community especially have some revolutionary in us. So I think this is going to be super relevant and probably the highlight of this podcast series. So as we wrap up, 
this series and we shift our focus to that, uh, make sure you listen in. If you've not subscribed already, please hit that subscribe button. Make sure you do that. Leave a rating, a review. Let us know what you've enjoyed. And please, y'all, please, if you have not gotten your ticket yet for Story 2022, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Um, if, if you're like, ah, Harris, I'm not coming this year, will you please do me a huge favor? Just send me an email and let me know why you're not able to come. My personal email address, I'll read every single one of them, and I will respond personally, harris at astoria.com, H-A-R-R-I-S at I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com, harris at astoria.com. For those that are wondering, like, what's up with the weird name? Astoria is just ancient Greek for the word story. It's at the center of all we do within our company, obviously, the company behind a conference called Story. So we believe in the power of story. If you email Harris at astory.com and tell me, and Harris, this is why I can't come to Story this year, uh, that would help me make sense of this. Because if you listen to this podcast and you get value from it regularly, um, I would imagine that means that the event, this gathering that we're doing, is super relevant to your work. If you get value from the podcast, the conference will be life-changing and game-changing for you. Come spend two days with us in Nashville. And if you're like, Harris, I'm in another part of the world, or I can't get there, or I'm still not comfortable with in-person, join us online. And if there's something else getting in the way, like, I'm just not sure it's worth the risk, look, grab a ticket, come, and if it's not worth every single penny and then some, email me again, and I will personally turn around and give you every single penny back. That is my own personal guarantee. It's not even a company guarantee. It's my personal guarantee. I'll personally pay you back every penny you spent on your conference ticket um, and then some. Maybe I'll also buy you a coffee or some tacos as my way of saying, hey, thanks for giving it a shot. And so it's no risk to you. If there's something else getting in the way, please email me personally. Let me know. I want to learn from you guys, our story community, to figure out what's getting in the way um, and why you're not cho choosing to join us this year. So I look forward to hearing from some of you. For everyone else who does want to join us, but you want to save some cash, um, enter the discount code podcast 100 podcast 100. That's it. Podcast, no spaces, one zero zero at checkout at your time of registration. You'll knock a hundred bucks off. The price went up recently. And this is our way of saying thank you to podcast listeners to get you back to the previous rate before we raised it. So join us story 2022.com story 2022.com. Um, there is another price increase. It's it, the price will go up again and that discount code will expire. So if you're like, oh, yeah, I'll think about it. Don't think about it. Don't waste any time. Go ahead and join us now while it's already on your mind. OK, again, story 2022.com. All right. That's it for this episode. Y'all, the good stuff. What am I talking about? This has all been good stuff. I was about to say the good stuff is coming. This has all been good stuff so far. But what's coming up next is so good. And I'm saying that with a lot of faith and belief in the future, because what's coming to you here on the podcast has not even happened yet. It's going to be featuring a conversation um, that we'll be having on our next story roundtable event. And probably by the time you're listening to this episode, that event will have already happened. So hopefully you're plugged in, you're following along on socials, you're on the email list, and you were at that event, listened to our roundtable conversation, and you're here on the podcast to catch the highlights. If you missed it live, stay tuned for the next episode. It's going to be incredible. We're going to jump in and talk about how we can all be better revolutionaries to leverage the power of story to repaint and change the future. It's going to be good. In the meantime, please keep telling stories that matter. I'm Harris III. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of The Story Podcast.
The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.